And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we are back. Thank you for joining us for yet another episode of the Startup Hustle podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Conaway, founder and CEO of Innovate Her KC. And today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Full Scale. We love Full Scale so much around here. They are the they are the change makers. They are the folks that keep us running. Uh, they definitely keep me on my on my toes as far as delivering great startup hustle content. They do amazing work. But really, what they do is they help it, you, you entrepreneur, you founder. They help it make it easier for you to build technical products. Hiring software developers is really, really difficult, and Full Scale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably. They have a platform that'll help you manage the team. Everything that they do is designed to make the process of building technology easier for you and your company. And that's what we love around here, making entrepreneurs' lives easier. So definitely visit fullscale.io to learn more. Now, I think y'all know if you've listened to any of my episodes at all, that I love talking about people. All of the different topics that I kind of focus on and on my episodes, they all come back to people. And so I'm really, really excited for today's guest. We have with us today, Andreas Wiedmer, and he is director at the Arthur and Carlise Sioka Center for Principled Entrepreneurship. That actually gave me like a terror moment trying to get that all out. Uh, so I will probably be referring to it as the Sioka Center from here on out. But Andreas, I am just, I'm thrilled to have you. And I'm really, really excited to talk about what we're going to be talking about, which is employees and how to keep your employees engaged. And, and you're an expert in that. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Lauren. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, so so let's get cracking. You know, I, I really want to hear, tell us about your journey. Talk to us about, about who you are, what you're all about. Yes, I love that. Uh, so I'm from Switzerland. I was born in a small village in uh, Europe, in Switzerland, in the mountains. And oh, um, yeah, I sort of grew up um, in a sense, I, I want to say it's a classic uh, entrepreneurship, uh, an entrepreneur uh, CV because I, I didn't fit in. I couldn't, I have ADHD and dyslexia. So I, I, I struggled through the beginning of school to figure out how I learn and everything to find myself, to find out who I am. Um, I, I eventually did, I went, went through a whole career in the military a bit and I did some, I, I was actually a bodyguard for a while, which was, in, which was an interesting thing to do. Well, that's delightfully and, random. <laughs> yeah, that's, that was, uh, that was out there. And then I came to America and I came to school here. And when I went to school up in Boston, Massachusetts, I met some friends who, uh, this was in the 80s, who said, hey, we figured this thing out. And, uh, like we, and the way they said is, we poured a TCP IP to the PC, which didn't mean anything to me. <laughs> in layman's terms, they were one of the companies that brought the internet to the PC. And that was, of course, a huge thing. And they liked me, not because of my computer knowledge, because I 
wasn't really up on that. But I speak like five languages. And so they said, look, we're, we have all these customers calling and help us out. And so I actually joined them uh, as a non-paid um, participants because they didn't have money at the time. And so they said, well, you just, you know, be a part of us. We'll give you a piece of the company and this and that. And that company was called FTP Software. And we went, it was a wild, wonderful ride. Uh, FTP stands for File Transport Pro- Protocol. We call it FundaPays. Huh. And we went public in 1993. And uh, then by then I ran all of international. Um, I, we created a subsidiary for anything outside of the United States. And that's what I ran. Moved over to Europe and it was it was a rocket ship. I'm telling yeah. you, it was a rocket. You know, the whole explosion of the internet at that point. Um, it became, yeah, I'm a startup guy. It became a bit too corporate to me. And I left and I had other friends. Uh, it was actually a couple, Jim and Janet. And they figured out, they told me they figured out how to do continuous speech recognition. A company yeah. called Dragon Systems. And I joined them to bring that company uh you know, to bring out that technology, to join the team that brought uh, Dragon Naturally Speaking to the market, which is today we know with Siri is, is Dragon's. Well, yeah. I, actually, I am pretty much. sure that in my closet, I actually have a box with Dragon software in it uh, that you because because, yeah, it's, it's just text recognition. It's uh, I was using it for dictation. Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it came it's in cool. super handy. Well, oh, sorry. Go ahead. That that was a that was a ride again. That was the, I, I experienced that again. That that rocket ship ride up and and being involved in building that company and then eventually we sold that company. Some I don't want to go into the details. Some things went wrong and so on. I saw sort of the uh, a little bit the the, the dangers of um, of that game where the people we sold it to ended up being fraudulent and there was a big scandal and all that a bit like Enron, right? But, but, but you're a bystander, you see just this happening. Yeah. And then, um, and then I, I sort of reconsidered, I went into a web content management company, uh, called ePrice and I, I helped there a bit. And then I went into strategy management. I joined monitor group, the consulting company, and I spun out one of their companies, um that was focusing on on emerging uh, on on business strategy in in uncertain environments we actually applied it to emerging markets and i got very much involved in how to fight poverty through business and then eventually i left that and i started a philanthropy to actually and i became very enamored with this idea of enterprise solutions to poverty how you solve poverty with business it's actually the only way to solve poverty and yeah. so I, I created the Seven Fund, uh, where we are like a, a venture. We, we we were like a venture capital company, a philanthropic venture capital company that invested in solutions to poverty through through the private sector. Wow! And when that was done, I I, um, I was approached to help start a business school, and I just you know for all these years I complained about what's wrong with business school and with teaching business. Especially me as an entrepreneur. And then somebody was like, hey, come do that thing that you've been criticizing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so it's like you, when you're called on the carpet, you can't say, you can't complain. And then you say no. Yeah. And somebody says, come and help the solution. And so I helped uh, start this uh, Bush School of Business here in uh, in Washington, D.C. And that was, that's 10 years ago now, we, uh, nine years ago. And in it, I created this um, entrepreneurship center called the Sioka Center. 
the very dear friends of mine, Art and Carly's, uh, sort of gave the, the funding for that. And yeah, that's what I'm doing today. Yeah. Well, what a ride. And, and I'm going to take us a step back. I, I've mentioned this before on the show. But kind of the way that I operate, you know, we, we, I ask the initial question and then I write down things that I think are interesting. And one of the most frustrating uh, types of guests that I get on the show, and it's, it's frustrating in a beautiful, wonderful sort of way, are those that, you know, you, you've been, you were talking, Andreas, and the whole time I was just like scribbling notes. Like you could probably, our listeners can't see it, but like, there are like five different conversational paths that I want to take right now. And what, what's beautiful about this whole process is once you pick one, then it becomes, you have like another road that you can take and another path that you can be off of. So I'm going to ask a question knowing that I will probably not be able to come back, circle back and ask some of the other questions I want to ask, but I'm going to, I'm going to dive back in. And the first question is actually kind of a silly question. I'm just curious, but you said that you speak five language languages being from Switzerland. So I'm going to go, I'm going to say German, French, English, but what else, what else you got? Italian. <laughs> Italian. <Spanish>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then man. we have the Swiss, you know, the Swiss language. We, we, we like to say uh, the Swiss German is actually a separate yeah, language. I was going to say it's, it's an alum, what, what is it? Alemannic language, so it's yeah. still very based it's, it's in German. More like right? Dutch. It's more like Dutch than it is German. But okay, um, okay. But I usually don't really count it. But but I'm I love that language, and I'm, I'm yeah. yeah. I it. Well, I I you know here in the in the states we are not very well known globally for our commitment to language, and so anytime I meet somebody who speaks a bunch, I'm just like, oh, tell me about that. <laughs> No, it's not. You know, it's not really an achievement because when I grew up, you had to speak several languages. So it's like, it's like, yeah, it's like if that's your environment. It's not something you do. It just happens. You know. Yeah. Well, so actually, here here's one of the questions that I find interesting about language, and then we'll move on to the next thing. But what language do you think in? So I I think in English, mm-hmm. but when it's very personal, I speak. I think in my mother tongue, Swiss German. Okay. Interesting. I, I love that so much. Well, thank you for sharing that. Now, the question that I really, really, really want to ask, that was just fun for me. Um, so you were you were a pioneer. You were on the leading edge, the kind of the charge of the internet, which I cannot think of anything in recent history that has transformed society as much as internet. Access to, you know, having information at your command, it has it has changed the way we do business. It has changed the way we live. It has changed. It's changed everything. Talk to us a little bit about that. What was it like to kind of be, a, a, I guess, an early adopter, and, and really not even just an early adopter. You were an early leader. It was. We started FTP, and imagine we were all twenty-some year olds. Yeah. I, I was twenty-three years old at the time, and. And the guy who led it uh, was like 29, maybe 30, but probably not. And and we were on the one hand very idealistic, and I don't mean this in a negative sense. I actually mean it in a positive sense that we felt that the internet was finally something where everybody counted as equal. Yeah. That everybody has equal access. That everybody can get an IP address, and and it doesn't matter who your mom or dad is, and it doesn't matter yeah. where you grew up. You don't have to apply to. And you don't have to. Apply. You basically, yeah. You, what you see is what you get, and you can basically 
uh, give it a go. And, and you know, the internet to some extent actually did deliver that. Um, yeah. And so I'm very proud of that. But with every invention, then there comes there come the dangers and the temptations of limiting, you know, bandwidth for some people and so on. And there's, of course, that's the human struggle. And that's just a given. But I think that freedom in that sense is uh, more easily easily achieved today than it was before the internet. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that's that's just downright fascinating, my friend. So, so you're you are a tech leader. You are you're a thought leader and an influencer in this very, very, very pivotal, very important, um, you know, thing that gets invented. But then you put your focus, you change your focus to to poverty. What inspired that? So I came, I don't want to say that I came to America with nothing because I came with my, uh, you know, with what my family gave me, my culture, my learning, my, you know, my background. Um, and, but I came without money and I, in a sense, in a real sense, lived the American dream. And I find that that is an opportunity that I would want to share with anybody else. If I could one, wish one thing on you, I would wish uh, uh, that you live the American dream, which is identify as fully flourishing as a human person, which comes along with material benefits as well, but that you flourish in your talents and everything. Right. And um, that fascinated me. And I started to research a bit uh, when I had time to say, what makes that happen? Uh, wh what is so different here that I couldn't do this at home and I can do it here. And apparently other people want to come here and do this. It, um, and I started to look at this, the whole idea of how is how is money created? I mean, if poverty is, is on the one hand an issue of poverty and it's of money, and it's actually not the key issue. Money is not the key issue in poverty. Uh, then we have to understand, well, how do you make money? You know, we say we make money, and it sounds sort of like a cliche, but it's very true that we make money. Namely, when you innovate something, you create value, and we measure value with money. Right. And therefore, money is not a the money supply is not a pizza that, that you have to split in a hundred ways. And if there's 200 people, you split it in 200 ways, but you actually make money. The, the economy is a pizza factory. And so the only way that it works to be a pizza factory is if we create more value, which means if we do more business with each other. And so I became so passionate about this. And I also feel that today it's so much more easy to start companies that I really started to get on that bandwagon. And when I saw that, it's like that nugget of gold of saying poverty is actually solvable. Material poverty is solvable. Um, then I become so passionate about it, just as passionate as I was about the internet or about speech recognition, yeah. I, I became as passionate about solving poverty. Yeah, well, and, and what I find, I find a lot of things interesting about your journey, but one of the things that I find interesting is that you then took a step and one of the things that we talk about in the, within the entrepreneurial ecosystem is the potential for entrepreneurship. Um, it, it can be a game changer for so many entrepreneurship, starting a business, it, the data shows time and time again, that it is one of the most powerful and most efficient ways for an individual to significantly grow their personal wealth. And personal wealth then becomes generational wealth. And it affects the people who come after. And so you've, you've focused on poverty, but then in your next venture, you have start you you've tapped entrepreneurship as this great opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. 
Uh, yeah. Talk to us a little bit about that decision. What what was there? There's a strong connection. There's a strong connection. You see, entrepreneurship is the is the oil is the grease of social mobility. Yeah. Every what happened in the U.S. is that every immigrant group that comes in is is first and unfortunately sometimes for a long time uh, boycotted or discriminated against, and you have other other social groups that for whatever reason are discriminated against. And entrepreneurship is the way out. Right. You can actually start to say, look, if you don't want to employ me, I'll employ myself. And then I'll compete right. with you. As long as we have the free market, this actually works. And it creates social mobility based uh, on excellence. And what, I'm, what I saw in poverty, so first I saw it in business on my, by myself, on my own life. Then I got into the poverty, um, uh, or, or I'd rather say, I want to like focus on prosperity rather than pro- poverty. Focus on what you're trying to achieve. Right. Uh, then I got to the prosperity stuff. And then I'm saying what's really needed is I need to go back and teach individuals. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, I, I know you're you're a great mentor and a fan of mentorship and you mentor a lot of people. And to me, teaching is nothing but mentorship. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to focus again on individuals. Um, if I can scale it, I will. But But most importantly, I want to focus on students and actually show them and convince them of the power they have that they're the protagonist of their lives not the yeah. subject well and and so when we when we talk about scalability and things like that we, we don't often talk about that one-on-one connection but i i would say that i mean i i have to tell you so we always do pre-show prep um, before the, the this whole thing starts. And I kind of take guests through, this is what we're going to do. This is what the process looks like. And Andreas, you were fun to do that with. Uh, I can always tell when a good episode is coming because um, the person that I'm talking to is open and and ready to kind of play with me a little bit. And you were very, very much doing that. And so clearly you're, you're a personable guy. Um, you, and I can see that you have a desire and a talent for creating those, those connections. Um, I just got to see it in our pre-show prep, but, um, talk to us about the power of that one-to-one connection, because I think that often we think about solutions that can impact the greatest amount of people, but sometimes the solution that affects one person can create that ripple effect. And so I I love what you're doing and I love your attitude toward your work, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about the thinking behind it. So the, the individual human person is the most important ingredient in the entire system, in the entire economy. Yet the way we educate our society, our people, yeah. is through the school system. And the school system is a bit... Um, Which is designed to... It's, it's a mass production kind of environment. It's, yeah. well, it's designed, again, to educate the largest amount of people as quickly and efficiently as possible and push them through this system that we have created. See, in the past, this, this is sort of... Our school system is the old German, like Bismarck system. And that yeah. was meant to create factory workers or factory offices or whatever. Or and sometimes farmers. We, we had an agrarian and then an industrial society. And, and they, they needed to convey information. And, uh, and that school system worked very well when we had to convey information. Today, uh, thanks to the internet and other things, we don't need to convey inf- uh, information. You can Google anything. What yeah. we need to convey today is creativity. 
Right. And this school system actually beats the creativity out of people over 18 years like you wouldn't believe because I'm dealing with this every day, right? Yeah. That everybody's just trying to fit in and, and not make the wave and never think different than anybody else and so on. And everything is on decision. Uh, like you, the, the biggest obstacle is people are looking for a, a, an approval that somebody says, yes, you can do this. We have this, you know, the sage on the stage thing with the, with the teachers that the teacher stands up front and then you don't do anything unless the teacher says you should do it. And then if you, and you only do it the way the teacher says to do it. Right. And that is of course not the foundation of the future of our economy. The right. future of the economy needs to be that you take initiative, that you learn to discern what's going on, what talents you have, and how you can apply your talents to add value. And the biggest obstacle is that most people need to be given the permission to do this. It's, it's, I know it sounds silly or, 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 or minute, but the biggest thing I do at my school is to give the students the permission to be themselves. Yeah. Once they do this... In a way, they don't need me anymore because the human genius is so great that once they're free, boy, they're gone. Yeah. So I, I had mentioned before we hopped on the call that I, I was actually running. I, I think I was like two minutes late because I was doing a mentorship thing, but it was actually uh, an experiential education event um, that, that is designed to do exactly what you're talking about. Like, we have to differentiate ourselves from the robots and from the calculators. And the way that we do that is by producing creative problem solvers, which is what entrepreneurship is all about. Entrepreneurs at their most fundamental base are people who look at a challenge and solve a problem, right? And so I, again, like, I just, I, I love what you're doing. <laughs> um, I, I, I get really excited. Like, I'm like, oh, I have a guest where there's a lot of commonality and synergy. And I'm feeling that with you, Andreas, my friend. Um, <laughs> and, I, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> and, you know, the, the way I'm trying to, it's, it's a little, I don't you know, controversial in a, in a small sense. It's not a big deal, but it's a little controversial what I do in the, in, in this university because because I'm often said, well, what you do is not not really academic. And I'm not even finding that because it's probably not. I'm, I'm not an, I don't have a PhD or anything. I'm not an academic. I'm, I'm, I'm a practical, I'm a clinical professor. So, but what I do, and, and you know how I said I criticize business school? And because what I'm saying is business school is the only school where you learn something without ever doing it. Would you ever go to a doctor who has never... Yeah worked on a patient before we do this all the time in business yeah and so i take the first but when you come into business school i'm the first teacher you get and i say well you're in business school it's like learning to swim we're not going to do this on dry land we're all everybody get in the swimming pool we're going to learn to swim meaning today is the day of your is the first day of you owning the business because today you start a business and they're yeah. all going well what and this see this is then they're looking for the railing to say well what do i hold on to and I say, you hold on to your talent, your interest, and your uniqueness. Yeah. What are you a geek of? And then that's the starting point. Well, and I've never had a student who couldn't find, within two weeks, they, they find a business. They find a business idea, an opportunity, and, and off we go. Yeah. And I think one of the, the most important things to note um, about that is, is along with that business, I feel as though your students, they're also, pick, they're also picking up empowerment. 
um, and they're picking up transferable skills. I mean, the fact is, another thing that we talk about is entrepreneurship isn't for everyone. It is very, very hard. And, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that after the jump. But, you know, first things first, recognizing that entrepreneurship isn't for everyone doesn't mean that there aren't transferable skills hidden in there that will serve you well in life, whether that is an innovation mindset, whether that is creativity, resourcefulness, um, you know, even even the business building process, you know, problem validation, ideation, all of these things are things that you can take to other more institutionalized verticals and industries. You can apply them there. And, and when we see that application, I think that's where we see the intersection of progress and, and potential. Right. You know, the potential for the individual who is driving uh, the entrepreneurial process, who has kind of assimilated and integrated some of these skills that they get to practice as they're building a business. So that is um, it's a lot to think about really quickly. I do want to remind our friends of something else that it is good to think about, but definitely think about full scale. They they are an amazing team to work with. I love the full scale team so much, and I know that you will as well. Uh, Fullscale knows that finding expert software developers is really hard, but they will tell you and I will tell you that with Fullscale, it doesn't have to be. When you visit Fullscale.io, you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the Fullscale platform to define your technical needs and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. Now, Andreas, we're going to come to the crux of the issue. Are you ready to, to go on a journey with me? <laughs> I'm with you. So I want to talk to you. We, we've talked, we've touched on, we haven't really talked about it, but we've touched a little bit on culture. Um, you know, you have surrounded yourself with, with entrepreneurs, like even throughout your career. Um, you know, and entrepreneurship is really, really hard right? I mean, you talk to students and you talk to people all day who struggle. I do the same. And so one of the things that I want to talk to you about is mental, I guess, mental health or mental health as it pertains to, to employees and teams. Um, so, so talk to us a little bit about that. Cause I think right now we're kind of on, we're in this time of deep sea change globally. We've just, you know, we've, we're still going through a global pandemic <laughs> and probably a couple of them, you know, hi monkeypox, what's up? But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I'm just very curious, um, what have you seen or it's, what does the landscape look like? It's a bit of a, it's actually a good development what's happening right now because it forces, you know, the market always reacts to the crisis and so on, and it's adaptable. Our system is highly adaptable, and it will adapt. The focus was so much on the customers in the past, so much on the investors in the past, and very little about the, the workforce and the team the team inside the company. Right. And it's about time that it becomes about the team as well because this is really a tripod uh, that we need to satisfy, and I think the workforce has, been, has gotten the... Uh, the short end of the stick, and that includes the CEO and everything, because of our our attitude about money and about the firm has has just been off. Uh, in our our entire culture, only focuses on the outcome of work, not on the work itself, and that makes you, even if you're the entrepreneur it's, it, itself, it makes you feel used in a way, a cog in a system, a means to an end. Because whether it's Friedman uh, or it's CSR. Both of these theories only look at the outcome of work, profit at the end, the product at the end. But what right. about you in the company every day, what you're doing? 
what about the meaning there, you know? And so that leads to burnout, depression, checking out. Now we have two-thirds. Gallup just came up with the new numbers. Two-thirds of the, of the U.S. Uh, workforce is checked out. And I think it's now 16 or 18% are actively disengaged, meaning yeah. they're trying to hurt the company that they're working at. Well, and, and what's interesting... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and before we jump to the conclusion that these are bad people, these are not bad people. These are people who feel so mistreated that they end up reacting, uh, you know, that way. And it all yeah. comes back to our theory of work and how we approach it and how we turn that into the culture at our company. Yeah. It's interesting because there, there's this saying out there, and I, I agree with it with a caveat, but there's a saying out there that people don't leave bad jobs, they leave bad managers. But I would take that saying just a little bit further. And I, I would say that people don't leave bad managers either. They leave bad organizations or bad cultures because your culture and your organization allows that bad manager to flourish and allows that bad role to, to thrive. And so the organization has a responsibility to its people to create a culture of any number of things, psychological safety, um, you know, production, but not at the expense of the person, you know, like these are, these are cultures that we need to set. If you, in a perfect world, if you could design any kind of workplace culture, what are some of the things that you would prioritize for the teams working within this culture? I would, let me break it into two sections. I would start earlier. Okay. I find that most of us entrepreneurs, and it happened to me, that when you start a company, you actually are so focused on the product, or on the service you're going to do, that you actually ignore the culture. But I would say today, if you're listening to this and you're an entrepreneur, you're not building a product. You're building an organization that creates a product and hopefully more than one. If you only focus on that one product to ship, you, you may, in, as a byproduct, create a culture that will never have another good product. So, yeah. okay, you might get away with one good product, but it's not a culture that creates enduring value. Right. And so as much as we need to have our product plan, we need to have our culture plan. So I would start with culture much earlier. And in culture, the, the issue is that we need pe people need uh, satisfaction at what they're doing. And, and the way this works is that we need to be, uh, it's almost like you could say firing on all cylinders. Everybody has talents and non-talents. Happiness, human happiness comes from the fact when we become excellent. And we make a huge mistake when we, so I always introduce talent and non-talent in, in my companies. And I focus on saying, I want to know what your talents are, and I'll tell you what my non-talents are. And then we create teams where everybody around the circle, it's not about a job description, it's about talent matching. So yeah. that you have a talent where I have a non-talent, and I and the next person has a, has a non-talent where I have the talent. And so we create this whole circle, and you have a team where at the end, all the non-talents are covered with talents. Then you have Then the team becomes more than the sum of its parts. Right. That's when you get. That's when you start to fly. The miracle of of the economy, right? The miracle of teams. And I would focus on that. And in how you introduce this language, how you what you celebrate and how that you celebrate be, people's talents with, rather than scolding the non-talents. I, for example, my non-talents is, is is accounting and minutia and numbers like that, like just detail numbers. Yeah. And I'm, don't invest in me 
going to learning more accounting. Invest in me more with the with the vision, with the empathy, with the marketing, with the sales. That's what I do. And you get so much more return on investment if you let me thrive at what I'm good at and mitigate what I'm not good at. Right. That is a cultural thing in a company that when you have your review process or whatever, that you focus on helping me th flourish and celebrate my success. And when we're doing this, people feel validated. They feel like they're growing, flourishing, and they love their job. Everybody loves to be good at it. Right. And achieving mastery. And we're... We're sorely neglecting this today. Yeah, I don't think there's anybody out there, at least not anybody I know, that doesn't look at their career, their job, their role as as an opportunity to to feel that joy and that pride and that that investment really like that's what it is. I am invested in my team and in what we do. Um, so that's I mean that's a very powerful thing. Now I want to ask you you know, in, in pursuit of creating this very, very strong culture. And, and for our listeners at home who might not have some of those tactical strategies, how do you help your team figure out what they're good at? The way I'm helping them, like I have a little team here, and what I'm doing is ha have people do a little bit of everything, especially when they come into the company. That's yeah. again, I'm, I'm very suspicious of job descriptions in that way. I have positions where I hire somebody and I say, come in here and go around and see where you can add value. And yeah. so they go to this meeting, that meeting, they, they tag along with me, they tag along with somebody else, and then they find their place. You might, people might listen to this and think, well, that's a, that's a waste of resources or money, but, but it isn't because I'm telling you, this person is going to find a place to have an impact that will surprise you because both they see the issues with their eyes, with new, a new set of eyes, and when they find this, this is, they're so motivated to do this that yeah. I, that's how, that's how I like to hire. Well, and you said something that I want to, I want to kind of pick at a little bit because I think that you, you've said profound things throughout this whole recording, but I don't know if you realize how profound something that you said was. Um, so you talked about wasting resources and wasting money. And I, I think that both you and I, I'm going to speak for you just a little bit here, but I think both you and I would like to kind of flip that understanding on its head. Because if you invest in your people and help them figure out what they're good at and empower them to be a meaningful part of your organization and your team, you're not wasting resources and money at all because your, your employees will stay longer. They will value your product more. They will, so they'll, they might sell more, they might develop it better, like whatever that is. You're, I, I would imagine if you put pen to paper and really figured it out, you would be saving significant amounts of, mo amounts of money and resources. Lauren you, you, Lauren, you just touched on one of the key insights of business and that is, Business is always about investing in a sense. Yeah. And if we need to recognize that the only investment with infinite return is the human person. So we, we think we're so smart to invest in some technology and something. But look, look, this can be proven a hundred times over scientifically and, and asking your company. But investing in a person and into their talents to flourish is the, is a, gives you infinite return because it keeps giving. Right. Well, because even when we talk about building culture, again, one of the things that we talk about is often you have to have leaders within a cultural movement. Like if you are working to try to change a culture or establish a culture, you have to do it early, you have to do it often, or someone else will 
establish your culture for you and it probably won't be a good one. So you have to be really, really intentional about it. But you also have to find people who are willing to go on that journey with you and model that behavior as you continue to build the team. And so, you know, you start with the, the founder and they have their, their ideas on culture and then you fold in additional people, but you create this unified movement or you have the opportunity you can create this unified movement where your your second in commands and then you know the people that they hire you create almost an army of cultural ambassadors and advocates people who understand not only this is what we build but this is how we build it and this is what we value in building it you know what I, I just wrote this book called the, the Art of Principal Entrepreneurship, and the art is, is a, a double entendre. It's art, as in it's an art, but it's yeah. but I actually write about this friend of mine, Art Sioka, that we mentioned earlier. Yeah. And Art Sioka built the second largest wine company in the world. Uh, from, oh, from basically, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, from basically nothing. He's an amazing man. He, I had this privilege to spend the last two years of his life uh, interviewing him. He passed away last October, uh, last December eighteenth. I'm so sorry. Um, and he sort of shared with me this, his, his last insight, like turning around and saying, here are the insights of my life. And one of the things he showed me is I, I asked him, so Art, uh, you know, I'm a sales guy, right? So Art, how, how, uh, what about sales and so on? And he says, you know, what I, when I started to do this, I said, like, no, we're not going to give sales incentives. Because, I, you know, he's all about long-term value creation. Is what he, yeah. That's his shit, right? He wants, he wants to, the company to, uh, to exist for a long time and be, be valuable, create value for a long time. So I said, well, Art, it's just not possible because the whole, the whole sales profession thrives on commission and incentives. And he says, well, uh, I don't play that game. And I said, well, you will lose the best salesperson because you're not giving them a sales incentive. And he, and he would say, that's where you're wrong. I lose the person who is most interested in only that money on, on that value scale but the person who's interested in the long-term value creation, I'm giving them such a stake in my company and in the long, they make as much money as the other guy does in the long term. And I'm signaling my value to the point that the people who don't agree with me and don't have the same value, I, I repulse them. They go away. I stated so strongly that they go away on their own. And I'm telling you, I, I, I was able to go into his company and I know um, people in there in sales. And this guy for a lot, has this company for 40 years and they don't have sales incentives. And this is like in retail. And, and that's, that, I mean, that's like, that, that is extremely rare. Um, you know, I, that's amazing. You just kind of, again, this disruptive tactic because, you know, other, other sales companies, and it, it could be wine, it could be socks, it doesn't matter. But if you look at that model and say, hey, this is, this is successful, this is working, this, this revenue, or I'm sorry, this uh, reward and compensation structure, it's working for our people, you know? And so by, again, by modeling behavior that you want to see, you create great positive change, or you have the potential to create great positive change. That turns into culture right away. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the, the danger with culture is that you're going to say you have a value, but you're not going to do it. Right. And so what's beautiful with art is always that he, he only said few things, but when he said it, man, he went all the way. Yeah. And, and, um, so in his company, there were no such. Uh, he would say, "Sales incentives make the salesperson push a product onto somebody that might not need it, but that becomes not a good customer." I'd right. rather work on the other hand, on the on the other side, on the pull rather than the push marketing, and create happy customers because they keep coming back. 
that relationship building. And, and that, that's when you see, that's when you see brand advocates. That's when you see people come out of the woodwork to do actually do your work for you. Um, you know, if you treat your customers with respect and you allow them agency and you give them good information, all of a sudden you've created a relationship with your consumers that these people, they, they'll go out into the world and say, hey, you know, I bought socks from this company and they treated me right and they're good quality socks and they're amazing. Buy again, them. You don't feel like you're used. Nobody wants to be used. And, and that's, yeah, that has yeah. a huge consequence. He also internally, for example, and another thing that I remember that you can do in, instead of, I, I just tried it today and I'm telling you, it's really hard, really hard. But we just had a meeting today to talk about a new project idea. And the thing is, if you if you have a meeting and there's like all kinds of, almost my whole team was on this meeting and you go into this meeting, we talk, it's not, you know, all, everything is already written up and everybody looked at it and then you're walking in as the boss, you're walking in and then basically everybody waits and sees what you're going to say. Right. And then if once you say that, Basically, the discussion is over. But what he would do is he would he would take the ranking youngest person, meaning the person who has been there the least amount of time, and say, tell us what you think. And then the second youngest, tell us what you think. And he would speak last. Yeah. And I tried it again today. And I'm telling you, it takes a lot of self-control because some of what they say is going to be right, some wrong. But if you sift through it, they, they speak gold. Right. Because they see your eye, they see your company with, with very clear clear eyes, clearer than your own. I, I honestly think that that is a fantastic exercise. I actually do that myself because um, it's it's very difficult to explain what I do with innovators because we do a lot of different things and we try things and things kind of change period. So it's always fascinating to me when people introduce me to someone else, I very rarely explain what innovator does because I want to listen to the person who's introducing me. I want to hear what they have to say. What do you think we do? Because it doesn't matter what I think we do. It matters what our, our audience and our customers and our members think mm -hmm. we do. That's all that matters. And if, and if something needs to change or if I need to adjust because what they think we do and what I think we do doesn't match, then there's a lot of learning in there and there's a lot of opportunity in there. It's, it's really, it's quite fascinating. Like you now, know how well your onboarding works if the, if the newest person <laughs> tells you something completely different than what you're yeah. actually doing. <laughs> So like, so like, for instance, with Innovator, like one of the things that I always listen for, so our, to me, our two foundational ethics, the thing, how I make decisions and the lens through, I, through which I view everything that we do as an organization are low barrier to entry and inclusion. Those are, I live and die by those as the leader of this organization. So when someone introduces Innovator and says, hey, you know, they do this, but they don't mention those two things that's a failing and I need to fix it and I need to address it and make sure that we're putting the right messaging out there. So I would actually invite any of our listeners who are, who are kind of, who are listening to us right now. Like if you are struggling with that, ask the people around you, what do you think we do? Explain it to me, you know, and, and figure out where those holes are and where those discrepancies are. Now, Andreas, I do want to, I, I want to ask you a very tactical question, and then I'm going to ask you a more philosophical question. But my tactical question is, uh, you mentioned that you wrote a book, The Art of Principled Entrepreneurship, that came out in April. Uh, I think you have another book as well, The Pope and the CEO. Is that, yeah. is that correct? Yeah. Any other books hiding in there that we need to look for? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's a bit of a pain. It's, it's, it's a pain to write and everything. It, it produces itself. I don't know whether there's another one in it. 
All right. Well, where can we find your books? I need to know. It's, of course, on Amazon, but you can also find me if, if you do Sioka Center um, and Widmer, then you, you find me easily on, on the Internet. But most, both books on, on, are on Amazon, easily available. Okay. So definitely keep your eyes out. Uh, give it, give an order. Actually, just go out and order. The art Actually, of principled say, Oh, yeah. I have a website, uh, Lauren. I have a website called andreas-widmer.com. And mm-hmm. on there are some, 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 the first chapter for free for anybody who wants to uh, download. Oh, awesome. Well, we'll go ahead and we'll put that link in the show notes, but it's A-N-D-R-E-A-S-W-I-D-M-E-R. Is that correct? All right. Yeah. So definitely check out the Pope and the CEO and the Art of Principled Entrepreneurship. Now, here is our philosophical question. On the, it, it, we are in the midst of, here in the States anyway, for our international listeners, here in the United States, we're experiencing this thing called the quote unquote, great resignation. <laughs> the great resignation basically means exactly what Andreas was talking about. People are disengaged at work. They are leaving their places of business in droves. Um, they are finding that they are, are able to greatly increase their compensation if they go somewhere else rather than staying where they're at. Um, you know, there, there are all of these reasons people are, are moving companies and, and it's, it's really interesting because for it, this is the first moment in time when we have kind of started to prioritize that employee, that team experience over profit, you know, people over profit. And so my question to you is for our listeners at home, what is the one key takeaway or the one thing that you wish all business owners knew when it comes to creating teams that will attract retain talent, uh, will, will keep your team satisfied and feeling fulfilled. It goes back to this idea of talents. Start with the job descriptions. Start with the talent description. Ta- talent and non-talents. Match them together so that everybody, the teams form naturally of people who cover each other's non-talents with their own talents. And if you move away from saying, here's what I need you to do, and say, here's what I need you to achieve and form the group to go achieve it, you tap human ingenuity and the human genius and it'll far exceed your expectations. Amazing. Well, I I have one final question for you, my friend, and it is a silly, stupid, dumb human question. You ready? (laughs) I actually want to know, I'm really, if you were, if you could be a superhero, what would you want your superpower to be? Fly. Ooh, okay. Is I there any place in particular you would fly? I would love to fly. I, I love flying. I love being in airplanes. I love to fly. Yeah. W- would you go anywhere specific or would you just kind of fly all around the world? <laughs> I, I would love to. See, I love the mountains, so I would love to fly around the mountains. Sometimes just before I sleep, I catch myself floating. Does that ever happen to you? Yeah. Yeah. I love that feeling. And I, I would just fly around over the mountains and see things, the Alps. I, I would love that. I, you know what? I would love that too. Uh, something else that we have in common. Well, Andreas, I, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to chat with us, friends. We've been talking to Andreas Widmer, director at the Arthur and Carly Sioka Center for Principled Entrepreneurship. Um, it's, it's been wonderful, friend. Thank you so much for sharing of your time and expertise. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. I really appreciate it.
absolutely. I mean, honestly, I feel like this could be a three-parter. I still have so many questions that I wanted to ask. Uh, in the meantime, though, friends, definitely want to invite you to take a, keep an eye out for our today's episode sponsor. Uh, episode sponsor is FullScale. If you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders, FullScale can help. They have the people in the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit FullScale.io, all you have to do is answer a few questions. It's super easy. And then you let the platform match you with fully vetted, highly experienced engineers, testers, leaders, whatever you need. At FullScale, they specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit FullScale.io. And friends, definitely want to invite you to keep an eye out for, uh, if you haven't already, keep an eye out for our top startups episodes at Startup Hustle. We love going to different cities around the world and talking to founders and entrepreneurs and, and creating these lists of amazing companies doing innovative, disruptive things. So definitely keep an eye out for those. We've got one coming up. Uh, we'll be recording it soon for St. Louis, my hometown. I'm super excited, but we've done Miami. We've done Kansas City. We've done, oh, I don't know, uh, Phoenix. You know, we've been all over. So keep an eye out for top startups episodes on startuphustle.com. Friends, we greatly, greatly appreciate the fact that you come back and you listen to us week after week. Um, we love telling founder stories. We want to hear from you what stories you want us to tell. Don't hesitate to let us know, but definitely keep coming back. We will catch you on the flip side. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.